Good afternoon on this Friday, March 3rd, Discovering Victory Podcast. We're going back to last summer, which was our 99th summer season. Dr. Dave Edwards was here week three. This is part two of the message that we started last week on Discovering Victory. Dave's a great communicator, loves to preach the Word of God. So let's give a listen as Dr. Dave shares the Word of God. The power of having the right one thing is that it always takes us through crushing disappointment. Not only that, but number two, the second thing that it does is that it transforms difficult relationships. So Paul, in verses 12, 13, and 14, he's saying the difficulty has been transformed. Look what it says, my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the Praetorian Guard. He shared the gospel with them. But also, look at verse 14, and most of the brethren trusting the Lord, the people in the town heard of Paul's courage. And Paul's courage in prison gave the Christians living in the city the courage to be more bold, to have greater boldness in talking about Jesus. All from a prison cell, Paul said, my problem has become my platform. It influenced the Praetorian Guard, and it influenced everybody else that were trying to live for Jesus in the city to give them courage to speak with more boldness. You never know what will happen when you take on the disappointment in your life from that perspective that my problem is my platform, my problem is my platform. Somehow God uses it to push his purpose out through our life. What a powerful thought. While Paul was in prison, there were people that were taking advantage of his imprisonment. There were people that saw the void that he had left among the churches, and there were people that were traveling to these little bodies of Christians, these little groups of Christians around various cities, and some of them were speaking against Paul. Some of them were saying, oh, if Paul's message were true, he wouldn't be in prison. If that, all, if that Christianity stuff were really right, he, w- he would have been out by now. And they were using the, the vacancy that Paul had left as a preacher and a disciple maker to get in there and to sow discouragement and to undermine the message. Also, there were people that were using the vacancy Paul left as a traveling speaker. They were using that vacancy for themselves. They were, trying, they were get, going to churches and speaking and trying to make themselves famous. Right? They were trying to, oh, Paul's off the scene, I'm going to use it to leverage my own personal fame. And so word would get back to Paul. And someone would say to him, what do you think about all these people? Like all these people are speaking against you. You've got people that are, that are using the gospel to try to be famous. and They're using the gospel to try to make money. All these people are running about inside of the city and inside the various churches that we're meeting together. Paul, what do you think about all these people that are saying terrible things about you? What do you think about all these people that are using the gospel in an ethical way? And this is what he's writing about. Look at it. Look what he says. Verse 15, look at it. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife. Some people wanted to be as famous as Paul. Someone, some people wanted to get into the church and just cause strife. They just wanted to stir it up, right? The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. You see it? Look at verse 17. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from a pure motive, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. Look at verse 18. What then? Does anybody have a new, uh, an NIV? Anybody reading out an NIV? Does it say, what does it matter? Yeah. Paul says, what does that matter to me? What, what do I care about that? Look, look what he says. What does that matter? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, that Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice, and yes, I will rejoice. 
Paul says, I, I don't care what people are saying about me. I don't care what their, their motives may not be right, but you know what? When they get it and they talk about Jesus, people are hearing it. Right? That's the way that, that was, that was his deal. He's not trying to take on all these battles and go, well, you go tell that guy that he's a false prophet and we're going to run him out of the tent. Right? He's like, I, I don't care about all that. Because this is the power of the right one thing. Writing over our life for me to live as Christ transforms every type of difficult relationship that we encounter in our life. The Judaizers were hounding Paul. They were always on him, always challenging him, always arguing with him, trying to beat down the Christians, trying to undermine his message. And Paul says, you know what, I, I don't, that doesn't make any difference to me. You see it? In all the relationships... Paul had written over his life for me to live as Christ. I have to say, you know, one of the reasons why I'm a speaker and not a, a pastor is because I'm not a very good counselor. I just, I've never been. I'm not, you know, I, I, I was a, a student a summer missionary at a church in California for a summer. I was out there and, you know, I was, a, I operated as a student pastor and part of that included counseling. You know, and I was just, I was not good at it. Let, let me show you. Here's me in every counseling situation. Here it is. You ready? Well, you just got to snap out of it. And that's it. That's all I got. And, uh, and to my credit, every person I told that to never came back. And so I had a 100% cure rate. And, uh, you know, I just wasn't any good at it. I, I, you know, I had these kids come to my office and go, I hate my mom. I'm like, oh, grow up. We hate your mom, too. And uh, we wish she'd leave the church. You know, I mean, I just, it was so, I was so terrible at it. I was like, I don't, you know, uh, you know, and even now, they, even though the church I'm at and the other places I go, people, uh, they got something, some beef with somebody, some offense they're taking, they're like, well, you know, such and such doesn't like me. I'm like, no. You mean there's someone in your life that doesn't like you? Are you serious? What are we going to do? Oh, my God. Right? I mean. Yeah, there'll always, there'll always be people who don't like you. There'll always be people who have something against you. I, I, I don't know. But in the midst of that, you have to say, you know what? For me to live is Christ. See, here's the deal. Whatever we put in that blank determines how we respond. And so I, I, I want to say to people, go, people don't like me. I want to go, what are you writing in that blank? For, for me to live is the approval of everybody. For me to live is to always have acceptance. For me to live is to always have the applause. For me to live is always to be right. For me to live is to always have everyone agree with what I'm doing. For me to live is to have everything go my way. No wonder people are offended. No wonder they got chips on their shoulder. No wonder there's so much conflict it's because of what people write in that blank. Whatever we put in that blank for me to live determines everything else. This is the power of having the right one thing. And Paul says, for me to live is not for me to win every argument with these people. For me to live is not to be famous. Paul says, what does it matter to me? What do I care what people are doing? All I know is that the gospel is being preached and pushed out. So for me to live is Christ. You see it? So what are you writing in that blank? I don't know. We're just getting to know each other. I'm just the speaker guy. I'm not your judge. I'm not your pastor. I'm just your speaker guy. But what, based on our reactions to circumstances and people, what would you say is written in that blank? The power of having the right one thing is that when we write Christ in that blank, 
It transforms every kind of difficult relationship, difficult relatives, people that you dread seeing at Thanksgiving and Christmas, crazy uncles that show up and you go, I don't even know how that guy, does he even relate to us, right? I mean, the people in your life that drive you crazy, the way that your parents spoke to you and they come back to you as an adult and say something that triggered something inside of you and sets you off, right? The irritating relatives that you always felt judged by, people that, whose, whose shadow you had to live in, all of that. You know what? For me to live is Christ. Paul says, I'm not going to let the chatter matter. I'm not going to let all this chatter matter. I'm not going to let all the critics get to me. All I can see is that whether people are honest or dishonest is that Christ is being proclaimed. What does it matter? You know, in the season when no one had flown across the Atlantic from coast to coast in a single flight. No one, there'd been a lot of people attempt to do it and didn't do it. But there was a picture story about a guy who was gonna take a single engine aircraft and leave one coast and fly across the Atlantic to the other coast. And the story goes that when he takes off and he gets up to the flying altitude, that all the instruments on his panel begin to fail. All of the needles start to drop the, the, the compass, the fuel, uh, all of the things that would tell a pilot what is going on with the plane, it all began to fail. And as he was flying, the gauges were dying in the midst of the air and not knowing if he was headed in the right direction or what, where he was going. And as he's flying, he begins to see the insulation from behind the instrument panel falling out. Like it's falling out on the ground. And, and so as he's, as he's flying, He's holding on to, to keep the plane steady, and he discovers that there was a passenger on board, that a rat had somehow gotten onto the plane and got up behind the instrument panel and was eating through all of the wires, and it was causing the instrument panel to fail. And since this guy couldn't fly and fight the rats, he takes the plane to a higher level, to a higher altitude, until the rats can no longer die until the rats could no longer live. He, ta he takes, it, takes, it, takes it until the rat dies and falls out from behind the panel. And this is what we have to do, is that we can't fight every rat in our life. We can't fight every critic that comes our way. What we have to do is live at another altitude. We have to live at an altitude where the critics die out, where the rats, where the unforgiveness and where the offenses and where the bitterness, we get to an altitude in our faith where those things can no longer live. And having the power of the right one thing is what takes us to that altitude, that we begin to fly above those things and to say, I can't fly this plane and fight the rats at the same time. I'm going to have to live at an altitude in which they can't live, in which unforgiveness can't live, in which personal offense can't live. I'm going to have to take my faith to another altitude and live at a different level. And there in prison, Paul was living at a whole other level. You can't fight the rats and navigate your life. You can't fight the rats and get to where God wants to go, where he wants to take you. So you've got to live at a different level. We have to live at a different altitude in which we say, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And whatever is gnawing at you, like that rat behind the instrument panel, whatever is gnawing at you, say, you know what? For me to live as Christ, I'm just going to stay at an altitude where I can't be offended 
I'm going to stay at an altitude where I don't, where unforgiveness can't be harbored in my life. I'm just going to stay in an altitude where these things can slide off of me because I, I, I got to fly the plane. I, I, can't, I can't fly this vessel and fight the rats at the same time. See, and then finally, the third thing that the power of the right one thing does, not only does it take us through disappointment, not only does it transform difficult relationships, see how they all start with the same letters, isn't that clever? And then number three, it always turns us towards our deliverer. The power of the right one thing has a way of, uh, it's like the North Star. It, it helps us to navigate. It always points us in the right direction. The power of the right one thing always turns us towards our deliverer. And this is what Paul is writing about when we go from eight, verse 18 to 19. Look what he says. For I know this will turn out for my deliverance. Here he is in prison, in chains, guarded by the Praetorian Guard. And he says, this place has become my platform. My pain has become my platform. My problem has become my pulpit. And in the midst of this cell, he says, I know it will turn out. Look at it. Look at it. I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that in all boldness, Christ even now, as always, will be exalted in my body, whether life or death. So Paul says, either way, either I'm going to be delivered from this situation or I'm going to meet my deliverer. I, if, I, if I get out, Paul says, I'm going to start more churches. Look what he says. Look at verse 22. For if I'm to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Paul says, if I get out, I'm going to keep writing. I'm going to start more churches. I'm going to disciple more guys. I'm going to train more people. I'm going to keep pushing the cause of Christ and expanding the kingdom in the known world. Look what he says. For I'm to live on the flesh, it will mean fruitful labor for me. I do not know which to choose. For I'm hard-pressed. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ for what is very much better. Yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed. Do I stay here tied to the dock? Or should I go be with Christ? And the point is, either way, he gets the, he gets, he's turning towards the deliverer. Either he gets delivered or he meets his deliverer. Either way, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, so either way, I win. This is the power of the right one thing, is that it always turns us towards the one that we're living for. If for me to live as other people, we'll always be let down. If, me, if for me to live as popularity, then in some way we'll always be disappointed. If, if for me to live as comfort, then we'll always be upset with God. But Paul says, for me to live is Christ. That simple little phrase turns him towards his deliverer. This is the power of the right one thing. What we put in the blank determines everything else. And Paul, you know, while he's in prison, he's awaiting trial. He's, he, he's, he's uh, you know, asserting his rights as a Roman citizen, right? And so, the re so while he's in prison, he's like, I want to have a hearing. So he's awaiting trial to stand in front of Nero. All right, now this is interesting, right? Nero, think about the contrast. You have Paul and you have Nero. Think about this, right? You have the godliest man that's ever lived and the most insane leader of the day. Nero was the guy that set everything on fire and played the fiddle while it was burning out. It was nuts, right? This is why today 
we name our kids Paul and we name our dogs Nero. There's a reason for that. You never meet a human being named Nero because it's nuts. See, he was insane, right? And so here you have the godliest man waiting to stand trial in front of the craziest man in history. And Paul ends up not just getting one hearing but two to wait for the verdict to see if he could get out of prison. And Paul says, either way, either way, I'm going to meet my deliverer. The power of the right one thing, it's like a compass. It's a navigational, it, it, it's a, the gravitational pull that always points us back to the Lord. So Paul was in this prison, this Roman prison that was at the time was underground. So it was below the city streets. He had been living in this damp cell below the city streets, chained between the Praetorian guards. Not seeing a lot of sunlight. Whatever sunlight could get through the old rusty grate that encased him underneath those Roman roads. And one day, one of the Praetorian guards comes and opens that grate and says, Paul, my brother, we have a verdict, and it's not good. This Praetorian guard says, I believe in the Lord like you do, but the government, Nero, has decided to execute you. And they take him out of that cell, and Paul wipes his eyes because it had been so long since he had seen direct sunlight and been out in the daylight and they, they pull that rusty grape back and they pull Paul out from underneath that Roman road and they bring him out into the daylight and his eyes has to adjust to it and, and they walk him to the executioner's stand. The Praetorian guard says, Paul, blindfold or no blindfold? Paul says, no blindfold. Reluctantly, the guard says, Paul, face up or face down? Paul says, face up. And at 65 years old, somewhere between 65, 67, they place Paul in the crevice of that guillotine. The executioner with the black cap over him raises that sword and the Middle Eastern sunlight reflects off that blade. And in one swoop, Paul's gone. That's it. He's gone. And the next scene, Paul opens his eyes. And he sees that he's in eternity. And he feels a hand on his shoulder and he turns around and he sees that, that nail hand that, that hand has nail scars in it. And he turns around to see the one thing that he had lived for. That to meet the one thing face to face, the one thing that he had given his time and his effort and his life for. And now he stands face to face with the Son of God and says, it was worth it. It was worth it. The right thing was worth it. This is the power of having the right one thing. For me to live is Christ takes us through difficult circumstances. It transforms difficult relationships and it always turns us towards our believer to think about. The difficulty you're facing 
and choosing to live for Christ in the midst of it, knowing that one day you'll stand before the one thing, the one person that you'd live for, that you'll be able to touch the nail scars in his hands. You'll say it was worth it. I'm glad I didn't live for the crowd. I'm glad I didn't live for the moment. I'm glad I just didn't live for the money. I'm glad I just didn't live for comfort. I'm glad I, I just didn't live for immediate answers. I'm glad that I wrote over my life for me to live is Christ because it got me all the way through this life and to the end of my journey. I just rose this morning to encourage you based on our theme that you would live for Christ. That we would say, I'm for and for me to live is Christ and to die is gain either way. For Paul, he wins. And either way, you win. So to every student in the house, I want to ask you, what are you writing in that blank? To every mom and dad in the house, I want to ask you, what are you writing in that blank? What would you say right now for me to live is? It's determining your vision. It's determining your value. And one of the things, one of the great ways you could use today it's just to answer, give an answer to yourself and to the Lord what you've put in that blank. And if it's something other than Jesus, that you would erase it and say, you know what, you know what, I, I got off track. I lost my focus along the way. But while I'm here, I'm just going to, I'm going to make sure I get it right. For me to live is Christ. And that you'd write Jesus in that blank. And then that we would let our life rise towards it. All right, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this letter. We thank you that somehow you penned it, you preserved it, and now it's penetrated our heart. I pray that you would shift our imaginations and stir up our hearts to live for you, to, to know you as our right one thing. I pray this day would be an amazing day that we would live in your presence. Pray this would be an amazing day in which we would enjoy your creation and think about how you rejoice over us. And that for any of us that have lived for anything else other than you, that this day we would scratch out that old thing and write in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the beauty, beautiful body of believers gathered here. Help us now to be people of the right one thing. And in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. I'll see you tonight. Thank you so much. All right, James, what's happening? We're going into a, a wonderful weekend. We are. I want you to listen up for this one. Okay. Today is World Hearing Day. What was that? <laughs> it's World Hearing Day. What? Yes. <laughs> it's also National Employee Appreciation Day. Hmm. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. And we appreciate all of our staff Amen. that serve here at America's Keswick. In fact, it's Praise really God. cool. What a good team. We now have 21, 21 graduates of the Colony of Mercy, one Barber's Place student yep. serving on our full-time staff. 46% of our staff wow. are made up of grads, and we're so proud of them, but we're so grateful for the rest of our team that faithfully serve. So thanks for bringing that to my attention. 21 today. and counting. 21 That's and so counting. That's so cool. Yep. Very cool. So today's the third. We had a great hymn sing. We're looking forward to Girl Talk on March 8th with Tamisha Stevens. The theme this uh, season is I Am Who You Say I Am. March 9th is Men's Fellowship Night. Uh, we'll be looking forward to Pastor Mike Woods. He's coming over from the Pines to share the word. March 9th, gentlemen. Uh, March 16th, 
is Beyond Youth Night. Really looking forward to having Connor Roskowski here from New Life Church in Tom's River. And then Spring Forward Weekend, it's our weekend getaway, is Friday, March 31st, kicks it off. Uh, we have the Easter Choir Concert on that Saturday. Uh, it's at the uh, title is Living Hope. Um, we're going to have a Sunday morning service, so looking forward to that. And we have an Easter egg hunt mm. for the youngsters. And then we have the Good Egg Contest. Some of you are familiar with that. But you take two eggs, hard-boiled eggs, and you hit the, the pointy ends together. Only one ever cracks. It's weird. I have to research it because we used to call it Epper. I have no Epper. idea why it was I've called I've heard of Epper. different names. Yeah, I, I don't know either. If, you, if you'd like to be a part of the Keswick Celebration Choir, yes. uh, you can call 1-800-453-7942. Get the music. Uh, we do have three rehearsals. Yeah. They will be live here on campus. But you can also do rehearsal online, so if you'd like to be a part of that, I want to encourage you to call 1-800-453-7942. It's going to be a great weekend for us. It's going to be a great weekend for you. Amen. Come back and join us on Monday for Worship Live. God bless.